0: And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sound appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Then, or and, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water out of like a river out of his mouth and after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and those who keep commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father, thank you for this revelation of your revelation, the book of Revelation. Thank you. Father, enable us to be awake. If we didn't sleep well, Lord, we pray for your grace to overcome that overcome wandering minds lord we always need help with that so that we will see through these vivid symbols see the reality that you point us to for that so that we may change the way we think and the way we live so work through this this passage father we give you thanks for your providential care of us every doctor's appointment every dream every aspiration Every canceled plan meeting, every missed response on email, every misunderstanding on a text—whatever it is, Lord, you rule over all the details. No, we don't. Say, no, Lord, we agree. The devil was not in the details. You are in all the details. Your sovereign hand, Father. We pray for Israel, for our friends down the street of I breathe. Oh, Lord, we're mindful of. Many things with regard to our friends there. I pray that uh, the comfort will be, Lord, in going into the solace of the scriptures, Lord, to read the Old Testament. May they come upon Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 53. Come upon Zechariah 14. Come upon Micah chapter 5. Oh, point them, point them to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and Father, I pray that you will gather the protection they need at this time all around the world. Oh, it seems like Jew, Jew haters have come from every nook and cranny, out of under every rock. Oh, Lord, roll it back. Stem the tide, Lord. Protect Israel, that little tiny nation. Father, there are some who are not able to be with us today. They're not well. They're shut down, shut in. For whatever reasons, Lord, give comfort, comfort, consolation, hopefulness to everyone who's listening here at this moment or by way of the internet. Bless your word as it goes forth. We ask it in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Book of Revelation. Something of an apology, we're driving, dropping right into chapter 12, almost right in the middle of the book. I, let me say a couple of things about Revelation, the book of Revelation. First of all, I think this should be, hopefully it's obvious to us, this is the last book of the Bible, which, which throws us back to the first book of the Bible. That's important to understand. For in the first book of the Bible, we have the creation of the heavens and the earth. What do we have in the last book of the Bible? We have the destruction, the end of the heavens and the earth. But that's not all. We have the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation. So we have this book. Now, there's a question that comes up at this point. <clears throat> I can't chase it down at length, though this message will speak to part of it. Is this the end? Uh, that, that thought gets to running around. I've been through seasons like this in my lifetime. I don't have vivid memories since I was in a high chair in the 19 early 40s. But the world was wondering if it were coming to an end then, with Mussolini and Hitler, and uh, the Japanese on the warpath. It did not look good. And then, without rehearsing the history from there to this day, there have been other times when things have looked very threatening, very, very much so. And, you know, God's people, if they've got their head screwed on right, they resort to the scriptures to try to begin to make some sense of what's going on. That's understandable. So here we are in the book of Revelation. I think that will help us. I know it will, at least in part this morning. So, what about the signs of the times? Is this the end? Got to be really careful with this language of signs of the times. I hope to address that along the way through this. Uh, I want to make this one caveat about signs of the times. There are signs that are associated right preceding the coming of Christ. They're laid out in the book of Matthew in chapters 24 and 25. And you you can go to the book of Revelation. For there's a shadow cast by the events that are coming one day. And that shadow is cast back out before that time. I'm of the persuasion that the closer we come to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the more accelerated some of those conditions will get as we come. So we've got to be careful. We say, is this the end? Is Jesus Christ going to come and take his church in our lifetime? That would be wonderful. I'm for that. We call that the rapture. No apologies for that language. But the Lord may not. He may have other plans for us. But I must hurry to say this. If you want to see the depths of hell, pay attention to the approval being given to the evil perpetrated by the Hamas attack on Israel on October the 7th, 2023. Outskirts of hell, folks. You know, many are appalled by what we saw in the sense that it seems to be out of step with what we think is the goodness of the human race. Oh, you miss that pitch. Goodness, the human race doesn't, it's, it's not a good picture. We're depraved, we're fallen, we're in rebellion against God. And there are these occasions where evil breaks out in a concentrated way. We couldn't bear it if it were just almost every month, every year. God in his mercy and his providence gives us some reprieve. But every once in a while, it will break out in such in such a vivid, dramatic, shocking way that it rocks us back on our heels. Israel's war with Hamas on the evening, on the morning of Shabbat, October the 7th, approximately 6.30 a.m., Hamas terrorists broke through the fence system that separated Gaza from Israel. They launched a full-scale attack, a blitz, by land, sea, and air, that surprised Israeli and U.S. intelligence and killed hundreds of Israelis and left even more wounded. Whole families were slaughtered, babies were decapitated, old people were killed and taken hostage, women were raped. Thousands of rockets were launched upon homes, villages, citizens, everywhere. Is being called the continuation of the Holocaust of the 1930s and 1940s. The purpose of the attacks was to kill as many Jews as possible. It was a shock invasion. One looks at that whole scene geographically and it gets even more perplexing because you consider the tiny. The small size of Israel compared to the rest of those 22 um, Muslim Arab states from the Atlantic all the way over to the Indian Ocean—hundreds and hundreds of thousands, thousands of square miles—and you look at tiny little Israel, and you have actually 5 million square miles. And you take the sum total of those Arab states. Israel has 9,000 square miles, and to get things even more concentrated. To understand and appreciate what's going on in that part of the world, in Israel right now, is that Gaza is about 141 square miles. We have not been through, I've been to Israel twice through study, not tourist trips, but study trips. There's the difference. And have been there, have walked, as Beth and I did the, the second time I was there, walked through some of those miles, and, but we didn't go into Gaza, but Gaza has 141 square miles. You know how many square miles are in Fayette County? I looked it up, 199. Did you realize that, can you imagine Fayette County being filled with two and a half million people? That's what you're dealing with in Gaza. And so here we are faced with this. Faced with this, this being this war with Hamas, this Islamic terrorist organization. Now, I have to add this. What about evangelicals in the nation of Israel? This is a topic all of its own. That is the most interesting story. I'd like to tell you the whole story sometime, but I don't have time today. I've lived through a lot of it. The beginning of this began with... um, for our purposes, the state of Israel's statehood when it was established in 1948. It was immediate Arab resistance, 1967, 1973. Israel almost lost in 1973. It was desperate. But <clears throat> dispensationalism, so you're sitting here and you say, what is a dispensationalist? Is that a disease? Is it uh, a political party? What is it? I'm going to explain it to you. Dispensationalism is a term that is used to describe those who are convinced of a certain way of interpreting the scriptures with a literal, historical, grammatical, theological interpretation. Well, you say, don't don't all all Christians do that? Well, you'll get some lip service, at least with, I say, conservative Christians, yes. But there is a divide. I don't want to labor that divide. but. If I could get it down to one point, I would say that uh, dispensationalists insist there is a difference between the church and Israel. We're not Israel. You're not a Jew. That's what we dispensationalists, that's what i preached from this pulpit uh, for 50-something years off and on, that uh, that's, that should help, that much to be said. But dispensationalists have been criticized for its beliefs about Bible prophecy. So let's get specific. Um, for its philosophy of history, for its replacement theology. Some bristle at that. We have friends. uh, I do. And then the family, brothers and sisters in Christ, think that... uh, when you say replacement, they're offended by that because we dispensationalists who interpret the Bible literally, historically, grammatically, we see a difference between Israel and the church. But we have some in the body of Christ who say, no, the, the, we're the new Israel, and so we dispensationalists are criticized for objecting to that. We've been told that we dispensationalists are overconfident with regard to the, our prophetic views. Mm-hmm. Uh, for categorical statements that cannot uh, happen between Israel and her neighbors, I'll shorten this point up and just say it this way. I read a lengthy article again. I found it in my archives, written by one who was critical of dispensationalism, a long one. And it was saying, why, you people who want to cozy up to Israel, you know, the best friends, do you know this? The best friends that Israel has in this world, you know there? The United States of America. Hey, we can get it. We can get a more t- tighter circle than that. The best friends would be, <clears throat> have been, dispensational believers, evangelicals. Now, we've been criticized for that. Some have overplayed that and kind of give a green light to anything Israel wants to do, that sort of thing. I'm not saying that. But um, that's the way it is with no apologies here. I'm not presenting this. Don't want to overstay it, but I want you to understand that we... By the way, in Sunday school, I've been given permission for the first few minutes in our prayer time to give some more specific things about the war and uh, how to look at this Hamas and Israel and related related matters. Let's get a little more close to the passage. What we're dealing with here in chapter 12, I'm going to have to rehearse something for you. The seventh trumpet, the, the book of Revelation is laid out this way. It's not that complicated. People go into hissy fits when they think, oh, it's just too confusing, too confusing. It's because they don't know, either they don't know the Old Testament or they don't know the rest of the scriptures so that to see how it fits into the story of the kingdom redemptive plan of God. Here it is, here's Revelation. Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter one, is the book of Revelation is the summation of the biblical story of the greatness of God's kingdom and the glory god manifested in the fulfillment of his redemptive plan it's the capstone it finishes the story and the book of revelation is the fullest revelation of what is to come in the history of the world that's why we tend to gravitate to it when times get really catastrophic revelation 1 7 puts us on point it's a good observation tower To look over the book and understand. Here it is, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. You need this. You say, Well, I want to get into chat. I want to hear more about that dragon and that woman and all that. But you got to get this to get that. And this is Revelation 1 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming with the clouds and will, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wait. Uh, on account of him excuse me will wail on account of him or mourn on account of him even so amen that's the way the book of Revelation starts us out and then we'll go to Revelation 2 and 3 we're going to do we're going to go over this quickly but so pay attention as closely as you can to the book if you want to lead through it Revelation 2 and 3 the church is called to be a light source in a dark world the seven churches of Asia Minor Revelation 4 and 5, then, we get into the Lamb of God is worthy to receive the crown rights of the coming king. What a scene! The throne scene in chapters 4 and 5, still being set up for the book. Revelation 6, the wrath of the land will come upon the world in the coming tribulation. Chapter 7, there will be a worldwide gospel proclamation in the tribulation. Chapters 8 and 9, the prayers of the saints of God for divine retribution will be answered in the tribulation. And then therein is the announcement of the seven trumpets. So you, want to get a, you want to get the backbone if you get the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. That gives you kind of the backbone of a good bit of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapters 10 and 11, God will send angelic and human heralds of Christ's second coming. Along the way in Revelation, you have what I call insets. It's sort of like a parenthesis, and it says, meanwhile, back at the ranch. That kind of thing. You're you're moving along and then you stop and you go back, then you go forward, then you get back into into the movement of action. Revelation 11. Our orders from heaven are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that God may call and gather worshipers into his eternal presence. And chapter 11, verse 15, if you're there, look at verse 15, mark it, it's critical. The seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Stand, hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) Okay, that's a preview. That verse is put there. That's a preview of what's coming. That's the way the book of Revelation handles things like this. So then we come to the 12th chapter of Revelation. Here we are. Here is the conflict of the ages It's an invisible war in which Satan seeks to establish his own enduring kingdom. It's part of an inset. It's not advancing the narrative as it is filling in, coloring in, giving us an understanding of what's going on. There's just so much. And so here's what you have in this chapter. You have the woman and the dragon, of course. War on earth, verses 1 through 6. War in heaven, verses 7 through 12. Make you, that'll make your hair stand up on end. And then war on earth, chapter, verses 13 through 17. So in this part of the book of Revelation, what John is doing, he's retelling the story of the tribulation through the eyes of different characters. Different characters here. They, we see we got to know who these are to know what's going on. And this is actually chronologically with regard to the events of the second coming. It's the second half of the tribulation. I don't have a chart to present to you. That's one thing dispensationalists are accused of, just chart-minded people. Charts here, charts there. Well, okay, you can remember this much, can you, Jesus Christ? I think this is clear to me. It's the rapture of the church, followed by the seven years of tribulation, followed as the Lord comes triumphantly, his second coming, establishes his kingdom on earth, and at the end of that kingdom on earth, then it merges on into the eternal kingdom. That wasn't too complicated, was it? Now, we we dispensationalists say, well, you just, it's more complicated than that, but can't go there to offer an apologetic anymore. Now, we have a cast of characters in chapter 12. Let's look at that briefly. We've got this woman clothed with the sun, which she represents Israel. Then we have the red dragon, seven heads, 10 horns, represents Satan. And then we have this male child represents Christ. Then we have the archangel Michael casting Satan out of heaven. And then the offspring of the woman is persecuted by the dragon. Now let me stop here and just say something briefly about signs and symbols. You talk about symbols, this is the Book of Symbols. Now, symbols do not deny reality. They help us to understand reality. Some people want to hide behind the figures of speech, symbols, signs, and say, "Wow, it's just all symbolic. Well, what are you saying? You say, it's, it's a nothing burger? Is that what you're trying to say with that language? Let me tell you, folks, let me tell you a couple things about signs and symbols. Um, a sign is a person or event that looks beyond itself. I'm going to be textbookish here for a few seconds, and I'll bring it down to how you got here this morning. And that it indicates something of greater significance. That's the way symbols work. And symbols, Revelation is filled with them, and it gives us fresh eyes to see things they really help and what we have pictured here in this in the book of revelation actually symbolize the world of everyday reality and new disconcerting x-ray light okay so well that's kind of heavy stuff for symbols you know what you did this morning when you got up and you got in your automobile and you got here? You can thank the Lord for a lot of symbols that you read without even thinking about it and you got here. First of all, anybody who came from out uh, west of here, well, any direction, any direction, you had red lights. Did you think about that? You, did, you have a little book. Okay, that thing says red up there. What's that mean? It says now, oh, there's yellow. What's that? Oh, yellow. That means, hey, uh, kind of slow down or stop and then well uh re- re- well green means go and you you know this I'm speaking down to you I apologize for that and then red is stop just stop cuz why if you don't there could be someone coming across your bow at 40 50 miles an hour aren't traffic lights wonderful things i have a little habits I thank God for green lights. I, <laughs> red lights, thank you, Lord, for those. Sometimes they don't work out if you're in a hurry. But that's the way symbols work stop signs, yield signs, all, there's all kinds of them. And so we came here this morning as a gift of all of the symbols that were here between here and there, and how comforting and helpful. I'll tell you what, just travel to another country, uh, third world countries. If you wanna, if you wanna have some fun, just try going through traffic in Manila, which Beth and I did once with John and Rachel, and drive through Manila. Then you'll say, whoa, traffic lights, there could be. they're a wonderful thing. And lines in the road, and you know, you drive on this side, you drive on that side, you yield right away and all that. Okay, enough about signs. All right, here we are now looking, looking carefully at this passage. Let me point out a couple of things about the passage i think this will expedite things if you with me i'm going to take this first package of thought in verses one through five okay i'm going to say something I'm, I'm going to comment on the language here and then we can package it up and move along that way because i do want to get to the conclusion i want to really take the gloves off when we get there for all of us I had to do it for myself Okay, I said what I need to say about the sign. You see that line, the sign appeared in heaven, a woman. Now, you may want to pause and think this, if I can go back to the whole issue of signs. What signs do is that they show us a reality that uh, could remain indistinct and hidden. But a sign or symbol will open up something for us. And it opens up something to get us to do something. So this, I I want to insert another thing here. Revelation is not a comic book. It's not a newspaper. It's not entertainment. It's a sobering book. You know, Revelation was written probably in the 90s uh, AD, the last decade of of the first century, to Christians to Christians who were beleaguered, who were persecuted, who were under uh, dire, great stress, trying to live for Christ in a pagan world. We can't, well, we're better able to. It wasn't like for the church to become a reality in a totally pagan environment. Okay, welcome to 2020, the 21st century. But in the first century, paganism everywhere, gods, goddesses, emperor worship all that stuff and the church i hated 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 minority and so what was necessary was for the church to be given some understanding of the way things really are and symbols really help that in that way they tell us something about ourselves, something that we didn't know. They open up the door to reality. Symbols do not, I've said this before, they do not deny reality. They enable us to get a grip on reality and the way things really are. I just want to knock it in the head. I've, I've been around folks who, who try to dismiss revelation as something, of a, uh, a, something like Da Vinci Code or something. It's so coded, you've got it. Find this somewhere under a rock hidden under the ruins of the old temple in Israel and we can find this code. We'll understand revelation maybe. No. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for doctrine, for improvement, for correction, and righteousness that the man or woman of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. It's perspicuous. That's a word that came up out of the Reformation about the Bible, perspicuous. You know what that means? It means it's clear. You can understand it. You don't. You don't have to have. You don't have to have a, a professor in a seminary to explain it to you. Somebody who knows Greek and Hebrew. That's good if you know that. It helps. But maybe mm, a little less than ten percent. But you get you get two or three good translations. You can you can get it. All right. With that said, look at this. These. these why I jumped off on that. The woman. Why is a woman used here? A woman is a, is a very good symbol for what is wanted to be the truth that the reality is. Because it pictures Israel, and there is this nurturing, giving birth to, life, caring for, overseeing. She perpetuates, perpetuates the human race. She does, no, well, obviously not by herself, but, she's, uh, but she does carry a good bit of the burden, doesn't she? So it's so appropriate for Israel who carries a burden. Carries the burden in this case giving birth to the Christ child, eventually, to the Messiah. And so, here, I think, here's what comes out to me. Let me get to this quickly. Uh, look, at, look at the next, how it goes from that point. The moon under her feet, she's clothed. All right, here's the woman. Some say this could be referring to uh, Rachel and Leah. I don't, it goes back to Genesis 37, this picture of the woman, the son, and then on hit, 12 stars, the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. She, Israel, she was pregnant. Well, it's, uh, it's shortening up things. It's a way of saying, all right, over the span of time in which God prepared Israel, beginning with Abraham, who's the first Jew, that here's the story going. And she was crying out in labor and pain because there was agony associated with this. There was a difficulty, we might say misfortune, being these chosen people, ah, uh, reminds me of Tevye in uh, Filler on the Roof. You <laughs> remember that famous line he said? He's talking uh, those little soliloquies where he gets into and he's praying, "Hey Lord, I don't understand. We're the chosen people. Could sometimes you could you choose some people other times? At other times, it's being the chosen people has a lot of trouble associated with it. It does, pregnant, crying out in birth pains." Giving birth, struggling to give birth, another sign. I just want to be sure we're getting everything. Oh, the red dragon here. Oh, red. There's significance in these symbols the way they're described. Let's take the dragon part. Monsters. Not monster ink. Uh, Not a cartoon. No. Bad. Bad. It's used 13 times in the book of Revelation to describe Satan. Bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty. Seven heads. I'm probably referring to seven uh, world kingdoms uh, here from taken from the book of Daniel. I don't have time to break that out. But the the ten horns, future kingdoms that are to come, Daniel chapter 7, break these down. And then this dragon, the woman, she's about to give birth. And then what? That she might devour it. This is Satan wants to stop the seed of the woman from bringing about the Messiah. Satan was in the territory when in Genesis 3, 15, You know he will, you you'll bear a child. Eve eventually will come from you, and the, his his heel will be bitten, but his head will be crushed. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be turmoil, trouble, problem, pain, suffering. But Satan isn't the end going to be his. It's going to be crush. But there will be some heel. But the Savior will suffer. All right. So she gave birth to the male child who is. Now, he sweeps. Here's what he does at this point. This kind of, you have to really jerk yourself into full attention. He just sweeps over the incarnational life of Christ on earth. And what does he do immediately after the birth? He goes down. Well, he's going to rule over all nations with a rod of iron because he wants you to see where he's going to the coming of Christ. The word rule there actually is, I could use the word shepherd to describe this at his second coming. And Jesus would be the king over the nations of the world. And the woman then... Now, he's, now, with this statement, get this, with this next statement in verse uh, 8, or excuse me, 6, um, the woman goes into the wilderness. Hold on. I'm going to hold off when they explain that, but he, then these three and a half, these 42 months mentioned right at the end there. All right, here it is. That Satan has waged war against Israel from the time of her conception as a nation to the time of the birth of the Messiah. That's what, that's what he's walking us through here. So the woman, not the church. Oh, I've got a study Bible or two. I've seen. They want to call this woman the church. Oh, how do you get that? It's like somebody's got a theological system. They're trying to shoehorn into this. This is not the church. It's Israel. And so... Actually, this woman, she's one of several women who come up uh, in the book of Revelation. This is not a, I'm not dissing womanhood with this. It's the way, four symbolic women in Revelation. You've got Jezebel in chapter two, verse 20, which uh, she represents paganism. The scarlet woman represents false religion in Revelation in 17. And then you have the pride of Christ representing the church in Revelation 19. But back to this woman, Israel, here at this point. So... What's happening then is to show us that, you know, Satan comes out, he's this red dragon, but he's his, this tells us, a, this is the reality of Satan. Oh, and we just have got so many, so many uh, miscues on Satan. We've got him as this monster, just, you know, and just scare you to death. Bring him out at, say, Valentine, bring him out at Halloween. Halloween. But you know, he's more like, He's more like the suave, debonair, smooth-talking, charming, brilliant, renaissance kind of man, something like that, who just can woo and deceive. But he's a master of disguises. He masquerades as an angel of light. We know that from 2 Corinthians 11:14. 14. He's powerful in strength and influence. He's a murderer from the beginning. Satan, the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And he is after, after the seed of the woman. He doesn't want it to happen. So Satan was constantly looking for opportunities to destroy Jesus when Jesus was born. Now I need to go through that one again when all the children, the, what, the two-year-olds and under were, were slaughtered in Bethlehem by Herod. Didn't work. But here Satan hates him. Just with me, let's see if we can do this. I'll, it's, it will help. Let's just water ski theologically, hermeneutically through the Old Testament and show you how Satan shows up in, in many different t- uh, terms. First of all, Cain kills Abel. That's not a good beginning. And the corrupting of the line of Seth, with, from whom eventually the line of the seed of the woman Messiah would be born. Abraham, he endangers Sarah by lying. We got to have Sarah in this story. Genesis chapter 20. It could have been t- attempted rapes of Sarah were prohibited by God's sovereign hand. Don't bypass things like that. Then you had Rebekah's plan to cheat Esau out of his birthright in the subsequent enmity of Esau against Jacob. Get him, kill him, we're going to kill him. Didn't happen. Pharaoh, Egypt, the gods of Egypt, Exodus, murdering the male children in Egypt, Exodus in chapter 1. It gets scary. Close. The Amalekites that attacked Israel when they go up out of Egypt and they go up toward the land, the Amalekites. And they really get in, talk about getting in God's little black book if he's got one. These people tried to destroy my people, Israel, at the get-go. And they paid for it. Exodus 17. Then there was the Canaanite corruption of Israel and the apostasy of Israel. Do you realize what a threat that was to the nation? to the depths of idolatry and corruption to which, into which they plunged. David, Saul, trying to kill David. Saul, haven't I mean, you got a lick of sense? Don't you know your theology? No. He wanted to kill David. We know who David's greater son would be, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there was Queen Athaliah attempted to destroy the royal seed, 2 Chronicles twenty-two ten. Got it down to a little boy, the king. Hit him out in the temple for, what is it, a year or so? Hit him out. That was it. Boy, isn't that a thin thread? And then Haman attempted to destroy the Jews in Esther chapter 3 through 9. He had it working Persia, interesting, modern-day Iran. He had, the, he had the, the, uh, the purpose of destroying, wiping out the Jews. Didn't happen. And then there were consistent attempts of the Israelites to murder their own children for sacrificial purposes. Yeah, you know, that the horror of it was one, what happened to the infants, but going after the, could have been inadvertently, well, purposely. Satan wanted to use it to destroy the seed of the woman. Zechariah 3, Joshua, the high priest in Satan. Antiochus Epiphanes, chapter 11 of Daniel, when you go into the intertestamental period. And he turned anti, talk about an anti-Semite to destroy the Jews. Herod kills the boys. Various incidents in Jesus' earthly life, the temptation... The plots of the Sanhedrin, Judas, and the crucifixion. Satan thought, I got him now. Done. Boy, was that ever quite an act of judo. <laughs> Used it and flipped it back, jujitsu. And Jesus conquered through the cross and crushed the head of Satan. And so ultimately, we get on down into the book of Revelation, the Antichrist himself. But the story goes on. All right, let's quickly. We, <laughs> we're, we're moving Slowly, actually, but let's look at this next package of thought. Now we have Israel's conflict with the devil in the heavens. So, all right, we leave earth. Here we go. We're given a view of something that happens up in the heavens, up in the Star Trek world, out there. Ah, here it is. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael, who is Michael? He's the guardian angel of the nation of Israel. It's the prince of Israel, Daniel chapter twelve, high rank in the angelic among the angelic beings, fighting against the dragon. I don't know, try to picture what they would say. Sort of light swords. What would they do in, in uh, Star Wars? <whistles> I don't want to reduce it to a cartoon. I don't, and this was serious business, sobering serious business. The dragon and his angels fought back. Whatever was happening, he was defeated, and there was no longer a place for him in heaven. And the great dragon, look at the five titles here. Boy, did they ever reveal a lot. The great dragon, we know the monster who is is dripping in blood. And then we find he's a serpent. Remember the garden? He was very charming and effective in seducing Eve away from her allegiance to God. Devil, devil accuser is the idea. Satan, Satan, adversary, deceiver of the whole world throughout human history and in the tribulation. The world's got it all wrong about history. All these blowhards that talk about, get on the right side of history. (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about. Here's Satan's got the world deceived was thrown to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then he said, I heard a loud voice. I it would appear the way the thing goes. It looks like the tribulation saints break into this uh, this soliloquy of song, this hymn of praise is what it is. Power, kingdom, not established at his first coming, notice. We're not in the kingdom. That's to come. And the accuser of our brothers, always throwing what is it? Paul says in Ephesians six, flaming missiles coming after us. Remember the accusations that he made against Job. Hey, God, if you just you just put uh, Tom, Mary, Alice, Joseph, you just put them put them put their feet to the fire and watch how quick they'll deny you. They don't really. You don't. Okay, go after Job. All right. So he's the accuser of the brothers. Other examples in life, your life, my life. Oh, God, give us the grace to stay true to you. Accuses them day and night. Conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, reminding us that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the, the typology and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But that Jesus Christ in his blood, in giving his life up in a violent death, he has made overcoming Satan possible. Do you need to overcome the evil one in your life? Now, I'm not saying Satan's working on you directly or me uh, Christians like to flatter themselves, saying, I'm the most important person on this planet. Satan's getting me. Well, he's got demons by the tens of thousands if they're to the extent that they're complicit in this. But then, you know, I've got my old sin nature, and that's not a friend. And then I got the world. So there we are with that complex, but we can be overcomers. For they have not, they love not even their lives unto death. They were willing to lay down their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And many in the tribulation will experience such. Therefore, and I, look what is drafted on that. You say, Death, martyrs, for Christ's sake. He said, Rejoice! Oh heavens, you dwell in them. Woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil will come down to you, and he's going to come down to you in great wrath. What's happening here, he's describing this interesting contrast in responses, rejoicing and then woe. But what he's doing, Satan, he has a, he has a fit, he's angry. And so, he's filled with fury, and Satan gets into a hurry-up offense, and that's where the book of Revelation is going to go, because you get down into those seven bowls, and the closer you come to the return of Christ, Satan is really hyperactive in the last three and a half years. Here it is. Satan will be cast down to the earth during the midst of the tribulation. And it tells us about this ongoing conflict between Satan and his army, and Michael resolves it in the battle of the heavens. Now, Satan then deceives the world concerning God and his word. Concerning man, he's done that. Concerning the gospel, he does that. The devil's expulsion from heaven down to earth means that the world becomes his base of operations in a most intense, significant way. He is now the God of this world. We know that from the Gospel of John, what first John tells us that. But when you get into the tribulation, it's really going to be ramped up and the world is going to come in hard and heavy after him. And so, with that said, Satan is no match for the power of God and his, the authority in Christ. So Jesus Christ, and see, this is what this, this, this uh, picture in Revelation 12 is to do. It's to encourage us, not discourage us, not make us gloomy, not, not pessimist, but to fill us with hope. We're going somewhere. We're part of the story. Now, you don't, don't feel short-changed here. Say, well, whoa, where am I in this? This is all well and good. I'll tell you where we are. We're with Christ. And, you know, and I'm going to get to this anti-Semitism I'm trying to hurry to get there. This thing I got to address a bit, that the world hates the Jew, but the world hates Jesus Christ. You know what? You know anything about Jesus' genealogy? Jesus was a Jew. You keep that in mind. All right, we'll come back and circle around to that. So there we are. So here we come down to this last section. So Israel now, here's Israel's conflict with the dragon in the future. It goes back to verse 6, but then in verses 13 through 17. The persecution of Israel. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, Israel, who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings. Now, what he's describing here is in the tribulation. And he's describing the fact that God makes a providential protection of her, the wings of the eagle. That's not the United States of America. I, you know, some people get into Revelation, they do crazy things. But you can, might find that. I hope you don't, but it's out there. And the wings of the eagle, it's not that America is going to, you know, get all, get all the Jews on 747s and save them. That's not what he's saying here. God will take care of it. Reminding how God took care of Israel and got them, got them out of Egypt, protected them from the Egyptians. All right, so there's this providential care, and she's nourished out in the wilderness. We get into this fascinating picture of God takes care of our imminent. Here, I have to be so quick on these statements, but I don't know any other way to do it. If you go over to Zechariah chapter 13, you're going to get some further information about this time. And Zechariah 14, Zechariah 13:8 tells us that there is a third of the Jews who are left alive in the tribulation. I don't know how many will be alive in that time. That's a grim, grim picture. And so there will be a remnant who will survive, and they'll be nourished, and they'll go out. Now we also know that there's going to be a, a, an earthquake, the Mount of Olives is going to be split from north to south, and there will be a way out of the city because it's surrounded by the armies. I'm having to leave out this whole issue of the Armageddon battle that's going on. See, are a lot of details But in this time, when Satan thinks, all right, he's going to be able to finally destroy the Jew. And when he can destroy the Jew, he has corrupted and stymied the plan of God. There, God, I got you. The Jew, they're all dead. You can't fulfill your promises to Abraham. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so the serpent poured out water. Satan, what is this he's describing? Satan seeks to exterminate the Jew. Here's what he's describing. But God uses in his providence, what is this earth opened up? And God uses some providential means to stymie it. I have no idea what that would be, but I can tell you that it says that he's furious with a woman, and he wants to he makes war and seeks to destroy her. So here's the point. Satan launches this final campaign during the tribulation in an attempt to destroy Israel. Begin to see a picture coming through here? What's going on? I, I, I haven't forgotten what happened on Shabbat, October the 7th, and what the attempt is taking place now in our world in full display. In the middle of the tribulation, many in Israel will flee the wrath of Satan and the Antichrist. God will protect. He's in, he's in control. And he will provide the supernatural and providential protection of Israel. How then should we live let's get right to it let's close but i've got some things that really need to be said here did i I give myself some time i did all right look at this i want to make several statements here i'm going to expand on the third one one the conflict of the ages is an invisible war in which satan is seeking to establish his enduring kingdom he hates god He certainly hates the Lord Jesus Christ. He has sought to destroy him, to keep him from his first coming, and now to try to keep him from the second coming because he knows it will be doomsday for him. And so therefore... God hates, Satan hates God and will attempt to keep God from fulfilling his covenant with Israel and the accomplishment of his kingdom redemptive purposes. He wants to be able to keep all those covenants. Covenant with Abraham, covenant with David, the new covenant. Wants to stall them out, destroy them, stop them from taking place. Have you thought about why Jew hatred is so unique? I, you know, I worked through this. I'm, I couldn't stop my reading on this. It just got, I got so enthralled with, with this in a variety of moods. the the degree of anti-semitism that's rearing its head right now? And how can you explain in history the hatred of the Jew? Try to explain that anthropologically and socially. Every generation from, it's, okay, let's, let's get back to this. Hatred of the Jew, I got this, this is actually from a Jewish source here. Hatred of the Jew has been humanity's great hatred. While hatred of other groups has always existed, no hatred has been as universal, as deep, or as permanent as anti-Semitism. Now, I would, I would adjust that a bit. I say that anti-Semitism is hatred of the Jews and the God who revealed his law through them ultimately is the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom and the redemptive plan of God. The Jew and all and, and Gentile were well, all wrapped up in this together. Does the world know this? No, they just want to kill the Jews. Why does Hamas want to destroy the Jews? Satan's behind it. That's what's going on. And he's got his demonic powers working full-time to bring this about. So there is, I hate to say this, but it's got to be said. This is a message and a talk all its own. There is Christian anti-Semitism. There is Islamic anti-Semitism. There is secular anti-Semitism. There is leftist anti-Semitism. There is Nazi anti-Semitism. There is anti-Zionist anti-Semitism. But in the march of time and God's sovereign control, he will see that his people are not destroyed. So therefore, how do, we, how do we conclude? I've got to get this through. Folks, we've got a missions conference coming up next week, two weeks. This is related. We've got uh, John Sherwood's going to be speaking next week and Jody Crane the next week. I hope that this will give us some sense of like we... we we have a grip on where is this country going? Where is this world going? We've got work to do. One of the signs of the time, lay, hey, put your teeth in this, one of the signs of the time is an expansion and the spread of the gospel. And we want to be a part of that. And we shouldn't become dismayed and downcast and get so focused on all the bad things that are happening, but we should see that we've got a task to do. We've got to get the gospel out. How can we do it? There are many ways we do it. Missions Conference is coming along at the right time. And I submit these to you. We can pray that God will open our eyes to new horizons and world missions. We need a fresh start. We do. And Christ is coming again. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. What's your part? What's your gifts? That's why these symbols are used. They stir us to go to reality. What's the reality? We're going somewhere. God sovereignly rules over all these things in the world, and we should not be passive and indifferent to this. We should get ourselves in gear. Pray for Israel that many will turn to their Messiah. I think, uh, isn't uh, Wes, uh, Wes and Lori Tabor? Oh! Oh! Who said that? What a gift that we've been with them, behind them. Uh, they can, oh, that's good. He'll give a report. That's, thank you, Lord. Pray that the devil and his campaign of anti-Semitism will be held back. I looked at those crowds around the world. Those people in New York City gathering together. Folks, don't kid yourself. This, is, this anti-Semitism is rearing its head. This isn't about the Palestinians. Don't fall for that. I've been to Israel. I've traveled through it twice. I understand a little bit. Actually, I had, I had an Beth and I had an interesting conversation with two Palestinian, two Arab pastors. Not all Palestinians are Muslim. Had two with the pastors, a little church. I, I gotta be careful, I'm online. Um, anyway, and oh, we had to be careful. They were looking around. We had to be, you know. There are believers, believing Arabs. Oh, pray for them. If you don't know any names, just say, oh God, you know their names protect them, give them courage. They're caught in the middle. Oh, and so, but the anti-Semitism and these, what are these, these interviews, they're deep, I just, I'm looking at this on TV and I say, did you hear what she said? Not only, it's stupid, but it's, it's blasphemy. It's a, it's a fist in God's face. And I hate the Jew. And then I think, you know, Jesus was a Jew. That's what, it, that's what it's about, too. Now, true, the Jew has to bear, as, as Jews say that the Jew has to bear the burden of God. That explains some of the anti-Semitism. When you think of the kind of world into which Judaism was born and came about and God gave his law at Sinai, it changed everything. And the world has been mad about it ever since. How dare you show up and spoil our party? And tell us there is a God in heaven to whom we must give account, who is a judge, and who has, has a law that we, are, uh, we must keep. And we can't keep. It tells us that we're sinners, and that we're sinners, and that we need repent. We need to come to Jesus Christ. I'll expand it out that far. And the world says, ah, I hate that. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it." That's what's happening. This isn't. This is not about land. I can tell you that. And don't, don't fall for that. I'm going to speak more to this in the Sunday school hour in the first part. Steve gave me permission to give a few. I'll chase that there then. Pray that the Israel can stay resolved and protected in the midst of world hostility. Jews are afraid right now. They don't have many friends. Have you noticed that? Huh. Pray that pray that Hamas and Hezbollah will be defeated and weakened. I don't pray some imprecatory prayers. Lord, bring down your judgment. I will say this. If Christians aren't hearing something about Israel in their churches right now, something's missing. Now, You don't have to be a dispensationalist because I, I have friends that think God's through with the Jew and all the blessings promised to Israel and now the church. Okay, So you don't hear much about Israel. Okay, I, I'm not saying they're anti-Semites. Could be some anti-Judaism. There's a difference. But if you don't hear something, like if Jesus was a Jew. All right, I've said that four times. All right. Pray that the grieving, that the grief, that those who've lost their family and friends will look to God who provides comfort in Jesus Christ. Lord, please send them some. Pray that those who are anxious, fearful, insecure, just frightened to death, and some are even committing suicide, oh my, this is the time to wake up to the what reality. Yes, judgment is coming. And it's not going to be a picnic in May. It's going to be so, so final and so terrifying. But there is God who has offered the forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ. And it speaks to us. The ultimate Jew, Jesus Christ. The incarnate God in this earth. And we're going to be living with fellow believers. Yes, fellow Jewish believers forever. And our Savior is a Jew. That's five times I've said that. So let, we've got some praying to do, we've got work to do, and this missions conference coming up. Would you make a special effort to plug yourself into it? Don't stay home and watch something on TV. You've got to be careful there, anyway. And, and, and you know, drop off at Starbucks, have some coffee, and and um, it's, be with God's people. let's, let's link arms. Let's renew ourselves to world evangelism. Lord, what can we do? What can I do? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, if there's one here, young person, older person, child, whoever has not put his or her trust in Jesus Christ, oh, Lord, before it's too late, may they come to the Savior, that this October the 15th, this would be the day of their new birth. Bring them to Christ. Lord, and use us bless this missions conference. The speaker comes in as John comes in, and we're here, and we sing, we work together and we'll revive ourselves in getting the world gospel out to the ends of the earth. So enable us to do that, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you've overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.